Look at the old calendar. It is Wednesday once again. That means not only is it comic book day, unless you're a DC fan, and that might have been yesterday, uh, but it is also Second Print Comics Day, and that means I get to look at a story of comic book yesteryear, at least from my own comic book yesteryear. And to do that, I have, as always, with me, my partner in comic book crime, the ramblin' one himself, Remzo Martinez. Remzo, what's happening? Mark, it's not often you throw a book at me that I've at least never heard of, whether I've read it or not. I at least know about it. But I didn't know about this until, like, last week. That is exactly... Well, it's not exactly, but it's part of the reason I do this show. The The first part was selfish, that I want to have an excuse to read books that I haven't read or go back and read stories that I have read, as we're going to be doing today. And I want to and learn how to you, read. It is to teach a, a young Latino boy to read, yes. Um, but, you know, but part of the fun for both of us, I think, is discovering things that we wouldn't have necessarily come across before. So we're going to do that today. But before we dive into that, I want to just remind everyone out there all the ways they can find us. You can find us on Twitter at Second Print Pod, as well as on Instagram at Second Print Pod. Give us a like, give us a follow, give us a five-star rating and a great review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy what we do here every single Wednesday on SPC. And of course, if you want to support our work, head over to Patreon. Patreon at patreon.com slash second print pod, where we uh, put out all sorts of bonus audio goodness, including my mission right now. I've been going through the ultimate fantastic four Remzo and on the next edition, I'm finally getting to it. Remzo, I'm finally getting to the debut of the Marvel zombies. I'm very excited about this. I've been, I've been catching up on those. What Mark missed episodes. And I think you're actually starting to really like the ultimate comics. If not all of them, like ultimate Spider-Man, ultimate X-Men, which we've done longer episodes here on the public feed, but over on the Patreon, it seems that you've, uh, you, you've found yourself captivated by this one corner of the ultimate Marvel universe. I- I have taken somewhat of a liking to to the FF, I will say, if nothing else. Uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that for now. But yeah, I think, as with anything, the reason I'm able to kind of latch onto it and do such a deep dive is because I, I went in at the number one. And also, in this case, because I know that there's just 60 issues. So I, ha- I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. If there was 300 issues of the series, I would never even consider what I'm doing right now. But since I since this is one of my, like, the some of the characters that have, you know, that uh, they're very nostalgic to me. It's the, the very first comic I ever picked up was a Fantastic Four comic. So to see what they've done with this new take of it is interesting to me. But it's also the fact that, look, all right, I'm doing six uh, six episodes per episode. <laughs> Damn it, six issues per episode. So I just do ten of these, and I'm through. I'm through the whole darn thing, and I'm I'm almost halfway through already that run. So uh, to check those out again, what Mark missed, where I go through comics that I missed, stories that I missed during my comic book dark period of hmm, ten years or so. But uh, this story that we're going to be looking at today is uh, is actually, but from it actually came out before. I got into comics. So uh, we're going to be looking at a story called Mage, the hero discovered by Matt Wagner. And uh, as you kind of alluded to there, this is one of the rare stories that you were not really not. Not only were you not familiar with it, but you had not read or even really was on your radar prior to this. Were you at all familiar with Matt Wagner or any of his other work? Have you ever heard of Grendel? Well, I've, I've heard of Grendel. Grendel's Dark Horse, right? Yeah. These are both published by Dark Horse originally, I believe. And yeah, the, Matt Wagner is one of those rare comic book creators who is 
pretty much, I think he has dabbled a little bit in some Batman stuff later on, like here and there, but he is almost entirely known as an independent creator. Like he didn't have a big body of work and then go do independent work. Like he has just his biggest books that he's known for are Mage and Grendel. And both of those are, well, you know, Dark Horse. I, Anything that's not Marvel and DC. They're, they're like the definite, they're like the definition of like underground comics. Sure. Like people think that image was like, you know, the, oh, no. the dark hide in the back of the store stuff. But like this <laughs> stuff is like as underground, it's like we're getting in like tank girl categories. For sure. Yeah. Dark Horse always did have that, like you said, underground feel that like th- this doesn't quite belong in the regular comic book universe. Like, should like, I, should even- I be reading this? Will I right. get in trouble if I tell somebody <laughs> I read this? Exactly. I mean, especially Grendel, like a lot of that stuff was, was super, super violent. Um, but yeah, I mean this, so the reason I discovered this story was actually, so there, there are three iterations of the mage story. Uh, there's this for, version that I wanted to start with since it's the first, uh, this is mage, the hero discovered. And then in the nineties image took on Matt Wagner hopped over to image to continue this story in a, a book called mage, the hero defined. Uh, so that was actually my first exposure to this character was through the image story, which is actually like the second volume of mage essentially. And then just recently, I think it was last year and I have not read all of it, but this will probably inspire me to, to read the whole damn run uh, is mage. The hero denied. So it's basically uh, a three part series taking place over several decades, uh, revisiting the same character and much like well, with Eric Larson books, this character ages. So, you know, it, when you see him 30 years later uh, in mage, the hero denied, he is 30 years older and he looks 30 years older. So it's just one of those things that you could follow this entire story from beginning to end. And maybe you've bought 30, 40 comics and it's a it's a complete story so um and i'm I'm always a fan of that but that being said we are going to now dive in to the og the original mage the hero discovered now we start off i really do like that uh these editions that we're reading uh these ones are on comiXology i will admit and these are kind of like remastered editions but they have the original book covers here and you can tell that these are like literally scanned copies of the original cover and i just love that actually because it just it just adds to that feel like even though i'm holding this digital book um i i no, I'm not going to say I feel it's like I'm got that the fuck it pile fade. It's got that fucking pile fade. Exactly. So I, <laughs> I kind of like that. We see like these faded covers along with like the newer covers that they did for, uh, for this collected edition, but I'm a fan of the cover and, and right on the cover here. I mean, you just see, well, I'm not going to describe the cover. That's what looking is for. You guys go get, you guys go look. Um, but we our story starts off and we just see this dude whistling and humming down the street. He's actually well, he's actually singing a song. Teenage rebel rule, rule, rule. I don't know that song or if that is a real song. Anyway, he's walking along and he stumbles over this dude. He's like, whoops, sorry. And this guy is just laying on the street in a cape. And this guy's like, hey, well, why so happy, mister? And this guy's like, why so glum, bud? And he just sits down and starts talking to this guy. And he's like, well, I'm not glum. I'm merely quiet while enjoying my contentment. You see, it might not last forever. And you? And this guy who is our hero, Kevin Matchstick, who always wears the same T-shirt with a lightning bolt on it. He says, um, I- I'm loud to cover my isolation. It will last forever. And this guy says, uh, the other guy, the guy with the cape says, oh, and and are you so very alone then? Kevin says, yes, completely. You got parents? He's like, well, loving, but they're basically blind. Friends? They're idiots. Lovers? And Kevin just kind of like ro- rolls his eyes in the back of his head. He's like, yes, of course, I've had a few in my pitiful little life and all have betrayed me. <laughs> Poor guy, been there, buddy. Uh, he says all, and Kevin says all. And this guy says, "Are you sure?" And he says, "What? That they betrayed me?" He says, "No, that your life is so very little." 
Kevin says, oh, yes, I'm completely ineffectual. Turns around. As he turns around, this guy in the cape does some magic, magic energy shit. <laughs> Puts his hands in the air. And we see all this green energy. And he says, then I'm, free, then I'm afraid you have much to learn, my friend. And he just disappears. And then uh, this guy in the T-shirt, who I, I'm going to call him Kevin. He has not been, in, been introduced as such yet. But he is Kevin Match, Matchstick, the hero of the story. He does kind of a double take kind of looks behind him he's like well like that was weird i guess that guy's gone cool and he's walking along and then he sees an alleyway he sees a mugging and he just thinks to himself oh great a mugging just what i wanted to see tonight but something kind of overcomes him and he decides no i can't just let this let this go on he runs in attacks the mugger who is seemingly some sort of like just gray-skinned weirdo in a trench coat tackles him uh the mugger throws a trash can crayon at him he dodges it Kevin comes in there, just hits him with a sharp uppercut, is really laying it into this uh, this gray-skinned, freaky-looking mugger dude, actually beating the living shit out of him. Uh, he goes to hit him again, misses, and punches a hole through a wall, which gives him a little pause, because he doesn't really seem to be too bothered by the fact that, that his hand... shit ain't... <laughs> normal no so like this is not a guy who thinks he has powers or anything like that so it's all very much and, and, and it's funny because that moment of pause allows this kind of a uh, gray skinned mugger guy to grab the back of kevin's head and just throw it right into this wall uh but then kevin kicks uh the, this guy in the balls or where balls would be we don't know if this thing has balls um so kevin is just punching him and he's pulling him up and he's like all right you freak get up and this this guy comes and swipes his elbow up at him and he seemingly just misses but he has this little sharp pointy thing on the end of his elbow which kevin kind of sees and notices and just like what the fuck and this guy comes at him again he grab kevin grabs this big uh this just piece of plywood two by four whacks him with it and um as that as he like knocks this gray freak across the uh, across the alleyway he's like he hears the guy on the ground he's like ugh. he's like oh my god i, I almost forgot about forgot about the victim here he runs over to this victim and he's like hey buddy relax relax i'll call for some help and the the victim here this guy is laying on the ground he's all messed up he just says ah crackle flint and kevin's then looks back sees that gray attacker running away and um basically just gets up and goes to make a phone call (laughs) because that's what you do i guess when you interrupt a mugging by uh, a gray skinned freak he says, I'd like to report a death. A man, he's in an alley way off uh, South Street between 12th and 13th. I have no idea know who he is. Yes, he was beaten badly. No, I didn't see the assailant. And he's thinking like, man, maybe I should have said something. Should I have described this guy? But I don't think anyone would have believed me if I said that I saw this, you know, this you know, gray, gray freak with like a, a spiky uh, elbow attacking someone. So I'm just going to kind of leave that as it is. Uh, we then go to we see a, a phone being answered by a mysterious figure who is twirling some dye and he says yes he's dead good what matchstick was the power with him damn that he must have already encountered the world mage i wasn't ready for this so early in the game i guess we'll just have to up our efforts do your best to stop him but don't get your hopes up unless you catch him soon the longer we let him go the more dangerous he becomes as this mysterious figure slams the phone down and looks out into the uh, i think it's supposed to be manhattan the manhattan skyline maybe it's chicago who knows it's one of them cities 
Uh, meanwhile, Kevin is just walking around, walking up to his apartment, thinking to himself, and man, what, what happened to that? What about that bum on the street? What the hell compelled me to open up to him like that? Then, like, cause, cause he, he's even like, you know, Kevin, as he kind of mentioned to, in the beginning, he's this kind of like loner, isolated guy. So the, the fact that he would even stop and talk to that guy that was just sitting there wearing a cape is pretty uncharacteristic of how he would normally act. And he's thinking to himself, and then the mugging, like one moment, I'm just a spectator. And the next I'm playing Captain Marvel. We got a Captain Marvel reference here punching holes in walls and tumbling around with some guy that looks like a refugee from Tom Savini's workshop. Now that is a reference that I do not get. And I'm not even going to pretend to get Remzo. What can you tell me about? What can you tell me about Tom Savini's workshop? Anything? I don't know. I'm not even going to try, but no, I like that is a, a pretty clever Easter egg because he's got the Captain Marvel, AKA Shazam lightning yeah. bolt on his shirt. Exactly. Yes. So basically Kevin is realizing that he's like this whole day has been totally out of character. Even like the actions he's taking, intervening this mugging and he's thinking to himself, man, I feel pretty lousy about this whole thing. Walks into his apartment and who is sitting there? This same blue caped dude that, that he was just hanging out in the alley. And Kevin is surprisingly calm when he sees this guy. But again, Kevin hasn't been acting much himself today anyway. And he sits down across from this guy in the dark. He says, funny thing is I'm really not very surprised. And this caped freak says, should you be? And Kevin's like, well, yes, I, I'd say so. Meanwhile, this this guy is like, literally, he's spinning one of those Rubik's cubes around with his finger, but it's not on his finger. It's just spinning in the air. So he's clearly displaying some sort of magic, and he actually completes the Rubik's cube um, just, just in the air. And Kevin's like, how the hell did you do that? And he's like, do what? He just holds the Rubik's cube. He's like, I'm sorry, Kevin. I, I tend to forget that you know nothing of me, even though I'm, I know so very much about you. So Kevin's like, so who are you? He says, I am Mirth. He says, I'm not laughing. He says, no, no, no. My name is Mirth. He says, I'm still not laughing. He says, you're very confused. Kevin says, yes. He says, especially by certain feats that you perform tonight. And then Kevin kind of looks up and he's, he's interested. So he's, he's got his attention now because this guy also knows what happened in the alley. And he's saying, and certain feelings that overtook you and spurred you on. Feelings you have no explanation for. Yes, I know you have many questions. Ask them one at a time. I will answer some of them. And he says, okay, to start with, just who or what is a crackleflint? He's like, ah, well, you see, my friend, a crackleflint is a what and a who. And Kevin's like, oh, geez. He's like, yeah, you fought one not two hours ago. He, and then he goes on to explain, he is Emil Grackleflint, Flint, and he is one of the strongest agents of the greatest power of evil that the Earth has seen in quite some time. Kevin's like, evil, huh? He says, yes, evil. As you've probably noticed, he has no hair, no ears, no pupils or nails. What he does have, though, is a highly venomous spur at the base of his elbow. Emil is extremely dangerous and unpredictable. And Kevin's like, a spur. And he says, yes, a spur. Be aware of it. Your power is wondrously potent, but I fear it can't combat its poison. He's like, my power. Uh-huh. Okay, He's He's kind of doing this like, okay, buddy thing. Yeah, cool, cool story. But at the same time, Kevin has experienced this weird day where he did talk to this guy for seemingly no reason and where he did uh, encounter this, you know, gray skinned freak and and basically battle it with powers he never knew that he had before. He seemed to have somewhat superhuman strength and, and that sort of thing, which he definitely didn't have before this. So then this guy says, uh, Mirth, I guess Mirth is his name. Yes, power, your power with it and my magic. We shall crush the menace. And Kevin's like, we? He's like, and now my friend, farewell. He's like, what do you mean we? Hold it, pal. Well, wait, you're not my friend. Like, I'm not part of your little game. I just broke up a mugging. That's it. No big deal. And he's just, Kevin just yelling out in the hallway. And he's like, and just how the hell did you make this door open? <laughs> and um, so then he goes back in and Mirth is there in the chair again. 
<laughs> so he left through the door and then he was just there in a chair. Why? Because he's magic and he's letting Kevin know that he is fucking magical. All right. And he says, by the way, Kevin, don't forget to be careful of the spur of the grackle flint later. And mirth just disappears in, uh, you know, in a green little uh, burst of energy. Kevin sits down in the real in the same chair, says, man, I really feel lousy about all this. Uh, we then go and it's the next morning as we see the alarm clock going off at 730 a.m. Kevin gets up and he's thinking, man, what a lousy dream. I, I never had one like that before. The others were bad, but this one, oh, man, my whole body aches. And Christ, I look like shit looks in the mirror, gets dressed goes for a walk uh is walking down this alley and uh, he goes to the subway and there's like there's nothing there there's there's like no trains uh and finally a subway train there's no people there finally a, a, a subway car comes up he hops in the subway and there's nobody on there except these two guys in trench coats and he's thinking to himself well at least there's a, some people on this train kevin sits down and looks over at, at one of these guys and I, they really do a good job they um it is all this is all matt wagner here really does a good job of like giving us the, the close-up of Kevin's face and like the surprised eye. And then we go to the next panel where he, he recognizes that spur on the elbow, that venomous spur of uh, one of these guys in the trench coats. And that's when he immediately realized, Oh shit, what's up here. So there's actually three of these guys on the train with him. Cause he notices another one watching him on the other side of the car. So Kevin counts to himself. He looks at his fingers. He's like three of them. Okay. And he can, they come after him and, and here we go again. Like Kevin is fighting these, these grackle flints headbutts one in the back. Um, there's, I really do love like Matt Wagner's very, how do I say this without making it? I, I want to say simplistic art, but it's that, that makes it sound like it's, it's, it's bad or something. It's not bad. Uh, it's, this it, is very, this is very cartoony. Now, now given the age, was it was was Wagner is what is Wagner a European guy? Like, is he from like England or whatever? Um, hmm. No, no, he's not. Oh. <laughs> this looks. Well, he's, he was the, born the only, in Pennsylvania in 1961, so he would have been like 23 years old here then. So the only reason why I ask is because this looks a lot like you know some of the Miracle Man stuff coming out um, in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Um, it looks a lot like a lot of the, the French and British style of writer and cartoonist comics that were coming out at the time. So maybe he was inspired by it. Just a worthless observation of mine. Oh, all your observations are, have worth. Don't you forget. To somebody somewhere listening, especially <laughs> if they've given us a five-star review, but we'll leave that later. Um, but yeah. Um, so yeah, but I, I guess, yeah, car- cartoony in a good way though, I, I guess I was, is how I would put it. I really, I really do enjoy the action sequences. They're, they're easy to follow and, and they're fun, I would say. Uh, but yeah, Kevin is getting a little overwhelmed here. He's taking a couple shots. Um, and finally he just like, you know what? I'm not going to, or I'm not going to be able to take these guys on. So he just jumps out of the window of the subway car seemingly into another, as another subway car is coming the other way. And that wraps up our first issue, we end on a little bit of a cliffhanger. What did you think of your introduction to to uh, Kevin Matchstick and the world of Mage in this first issue? It's all exposition. Like it's very, it's, it's very cartoony in a way because there's no real time to even ask what's going on. They just kind of take you around and tell you. And by the end of this, it's like, you know, the first issue, like, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see what's happening because I am curious, like why they choose Kevin, who are all these guys, but it's not like I feel a lot of tension has occurred. It's just a very basic, you know, I'll call a very basic hero's journey setup that doesn't really have me that enticed yet, especially if the artwork, I mean, the artwork coming out when it did in the, in the nineties, you would expect it to be, no, this is, this is 84. This came out 84. Well, yeah. even then, like there were good people drawing around then. Like, it's just, 
I, it might not. I'm not going to say it's bad. I'm just going to say it's not my style, but maybe I'll grow onto it. Who knows? It's definitely a different style of art and a different feel of book. Again, that's why it is at a company like Dark Horse, where you're going to get some sort of different feeling kind of books, different kind of art, art that like you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't see this art in a, in a Marvel book in, in, uh, in 1984. But that's what, that's the great thing about having alternatives. Uh, but, um, <clears throat> Moving into issue two and this, and I will say like mage in general, especially this first volume of mage, it's very much in the format of, of it's, it's, you kind of get into it the same way that he is, that, that Kevin is, you're kind of tossed right into it and you're learning more about this, this kind of mysterious magical world that he's operating in as he is sort of in, in, in the same time. So you're kind of, you are seeing it from sort of Kevin's point of view and you essentially have as much information as he does as, as this thing goes along, but this is kind of a slow burn. So like, we're not going to get all these answers in these four issues that we're going to look at. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but they, you do get them over the course, uh, you know, over the course of Kevin's adventure, uh, throughout the story, but we dive back into, Issue number two, chapter two, and Kevin is, flies out in front of this other subway car just as he dove out of the last car. The subway car is coming at him. We hear a clack a thud a clack I do like the, the sound effect lettering here. And then it seems that he has been run over by a subway, I guess. But then at the bottom panel here, we see his head pop up. He comes up and says, man, do I need a cherry Coke? <laughs> I do love cherry Cokes. So I'm not going to lie. Uh, man just, after <laughs> my own heart. Just look at that crap. See, Kevin's winning you over already. Uh, jackets ruined my pants too. I wait a minute. My clothes are trash, but I'm fine. How am I? Okay. And it is when Kevin's really, it's really hitting into like, okay, this is some weird shit. This is not just me fighting a, uh, some gray dudes. Like I have stuff going on with me that I, I can't comprehend. Uh, we then go to this tower. It is the, the sticks. Sticks like the band, S-T-Y-X, the Sticks Hotel and Casino. Remzo, what can you tell me about the band Sticks? <laughs> they were a band. Yes, and this is nothing the to do with them. This has nothing to do with them, but but I do enjoy some sticks. That's all I'll say. Um, and we see the same guy, the same guy that was uh, in the suit on the phone earlier. He says, well, don't be so sure he's dead, although he probably doesn't realize who he really is. Let's make sure that we don't forget. Most likely the train barely phased him. Well, and this is one of the Grackle Flint's talking to him now. Uh, while Emil and Laszlo are watching the two stops that, that border the area where he was hit, if he comes out there, they'll see him. But I still find it hard to believe that a subway train at full speed couldn't. And he says, I know, Piet. So each of these Grackle Flint's has their own names. Uh, I, th- I don't know if he explained it yet. We'll get to that. But there, there are five Grackle Flint's total. He says, I know, Piet. And at one time, it would have done the job. But once he encountered the world mage, the power awakened swiftly in him. We should have kept better track of Mirth's movements. Matchstick is now beyond any harm this world has to offer him. So essentially, when Kevin encountered this Mirth, who is known as the World Mage, it activated this power in him. But it's power that that already existed in him. Um, and we'll get to. Well, I don't know if we'll get to exactly why today, but this story will eventually get to why. Um, and now, but now that he has that power activated, like you can't just defeat this guy with with normal material type stuff. You're gonna need some stuff from perhaps another realm. Uh, so we, and this guy in the suit says, so all we can do is sit back and await your brother's report. If he is alive, then we'll have to arrange for some harm that comes from beyond this realm. As I just said, uh, meanwhile, get back back to Kevin. He's walking along and just thinking to himself, like uh, he's kind of thinking like how he's going to, what he's going to tell his boss. He's his boss's name, Cooch, by the way, <laughs> I enjoy his internal uh, monologue here. He's like, hello, Cooch. This is Kevin. I won't be into work today. I got hit by a subway train. He's like, no, it doesn't work. Hey, Cooch, I'm feeling a little run down today. No, that's not going to work. And he's like, I, like, as he's thinking to himself, 
himself. This lady is just like shocked by the fact that this guy is 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 uh, climbing out of the subway just completely unfazed. And another like, day in New York. Exactly. It, it actually kind of is another day in New York, to be honest. Uh, he's just he's continuing to walk along and he's just thinking, God damn it, I need a cherry Coke as he's being followed by another one of these grackle flints. And then we go back to the hotel where we see the mysterious figure in a suit talking to two other grackle flints who are playing chess because, you know, grackle flints, they need to take a load off and have some leisure activities too. Remzo, do you play much chess? Have you ever, ever got involved in chess? I can't play chess to save my life. Have you? Have you I, I, I always, and I feel super hypocritical saying this. I always thought it was nerd shit. <laughs> that would be very hypocritical for two. Yeah, like it's extremely hypocritical. <laughs> two guys are doing a comic book podcast here. <laughs> yeah, like like ch- chess was like chess was like the limit for me. the The only the, the only game I was like super competitive in was like blackjack and Texas Hold'em which should probably tell you a thing or two about my childhood. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I, I've, I've gotten into chess quite a bit these last uh, four or five months. Cause I've had a, uh, let's just say I've had some time on my hands, even though it feels like I never have time. And I, I, I thought I was like not getting much better um, because like the computers or anybody I play online would always beat me. But then I play my wife and my friend, Dan, who was here and I just destroy them every day. So I'm better than them <laughs> at least. Um, that's it. You have to play. destroy your family and friends. Yes. That that's is. how, you know, you're making progress progress that's the key in life really uh but anyway this uh this guy in the suit he's talking to these other grackle flints and he's like look uh matchstick he looks a little rumpled up but appears to be fine so i'll begin making arrangements on how to deal with him immediately meanwhile you two hit the streets we've got to up our efforts on locating the fisher king so another character has entered the fray here the mysterious fisher king he says since laszlo's the only one who can recognize him send him here for easy access tell our street agents to be extra alert and report any new characters in their area will pay double for their efforts his shape-changing ability makes it difficult for us but no matter what form he takes and at this point he's picked up the king from the chessboard he says the king will always be lame and he snaps this little this poor little king's legs off <laughs> and if i was a gragophone i'm like dude we were just we're we're in the middle of the game you broke the king's legs how are we supposed to finish but anyway um, moving along, Kevin is back and now he actually is calling his boss. He's saying, look, Cooch. Yeah, yeah. I know I work for you. I'm sorry. I, I just don't feel well. Just tell Heather to fill in and I'll pick up the slack tomorrow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Uh, at last a cherry coke because he sits down at the diner and who appears right across from him with a flash of green energy is mirth the world mage and he says you're looking well this morning kevin and kevin's like oh god this guy again well aside from your clothes that is and kevin's like come on let's get out of here i got a few questions i want to get answered captain guru and we're going to find some place a little more private to talk this over and uh mirth is like private oh no problem boof he poofs them up and suddenly they are on the top of this giant size skyscraper and kevin is freaking out he is screaming and crying he's like mirth you ask get me down from here and, and mirth is like kevin what could be more private we're on the top of this building he's like no I, I get vertigo. I can't stand heights. Get me down. Get me down. And then Mirth just snaps them out uh, to a park. He's like, is that better? And Kevin's like, well, it's not totally private, but it'll do. He's like, why didn't you tell me there were three of those fucking things? I added the fucking. Uh, he's like, well, they're not. He's like, what do you mean there aren't? He says, there's five. And Kevin's like, oh, God. And they are the deadly enemies of mankind in general and of you in particular. Uh, we then hop over and we see this black chick getting out of a car. Uh, her red car. That, that's that's a whole page we got of that. Uh, we'll get back to her. Uh, back to the park. He says, all right, go on, ask your question. 
questions. Kevin says, well, why me? Mirth says, well, because there has awakened in you a power, a power that will make you discover the hero you are destined to be. Kevin's like, uh-huh. Uh, and he says, but why did you out? And suddenly Kevin gets stabbed in the hand uh, with something or other. We go back, we see this black chick in the car uh, as she drives by um, one of these grackle flints, these gray-skinned, freaky grackle flints in a trench coat. We'll come back to her later again. Kevin says, how did I explain this? This morning, I get hit by a subway train. Not a scratch. This afternoon, I get a splinter. So that, that was what we just saw uh, kind of shoot into his hand. He gets a splinter uh, from, from the wood on the bench. And Marissa says, well, put simply, Kevin, the power is in you, but you are not it. And Kevin says, all right, I, I, I bet they I bet they just love you over at Reader's Digest. Another 80s reference, 80s, 90s reference. Remzo, what can you what? tell me about Reader's Digest? Is, Re- is Reader's Digest old now? I think so. I mean, I, it, isn't Reader's Digest what they sent you? Like it had like the TV schedule in it for the week. And I mean, I mean <laughs> it was. I was honestly, Mark, it was a goal of mine when I was a writer to get published in Reader's Digest. It still <laughs> kind Reader's of Digest is. still exist? I think, I think it is, but uh, I, I, I'm going to nerd out for a second on something I can nerd out. Folks, I'm a digital marketer and copywriter, and we have a saying that if it's too complicated, you need to go ahead and make your copy into a Reader's Digest level. <laughs> so therefore, if you ever hear somebody in writing say, break it down to a Reader's Digest level, you know... You need to make it sound dumber. Yes. <laughs> and that's probably what Kevin could use too, actually, because because he's not quite getting this whole thing. And Mirth says, well, what I mean is that the power rises to whatever situation, but only when it feels it's needed. I'm afraid, my friend, that you can't control it. And Kevin's just like, great, awesome. Uh, another splash page, not splash page, another three panel page of this chick in this car. And uh, she, there is a grackle flint still uh, tracking her. So we go back and Mirth is explaining more to Kevin. He's like, all right, the grackle flints though, they are not the actual threat. Kevin's like, what? He's like, they're merely lieutenants controlled by a greater evil, a vast darkness known as the Umbra Sprite. Kevin says, what Sprite? The Umbra Sprite. The grackle flints are brothers and he is their father. Although he does not appear as hideous as they, he is far deadlier. He is Attila, Herod, Nero, Hitler and Stalin realized in one. His plottings are subtle or direct as needs be, but they are always insidious. He strives, even now, to destroy what is light and good in us all. He's basically Satan. Let's put it that you know he's he's the personification of evil in, as far as the story goes. Uh, we do see more of this chick um, being followed um, by one of these grackleflints again, who has a big cinder block, and it looks like things aren't going to go well for her. But we're still not quite sure why she's being followed. Back to the park. Um, it is a little weird, actually, the the, the back and forth, because the, this chick is, the, her thing is happening at night, and these two are talking during the day. So that was a little odd. I'm just noticing now going through it here. Kevin says, okay, but what about, what, what would Captain Nasty want with the old guy in the alley? Why'd they kill that, that random guy? And Mara's like, look, there are certain people who are naturally drawn into the eternal struggle, even though they often have no idea of what is actually going on. Still, others are distinguished by the rare talent to recognize you for what you really are. They see the hero within you. The old gentleman was just one of those people. He was killed simply because someday he may have encountered you, known you, and tried to help you. Uh, then we see this grackle flint is messing with this chick's car. He's sticking a cinder block underneath it messing it all up as we go back and Amirth continues. He says, I must say, Kevin, you're taking this all very well. And Kevin says, who says I'm taking any of it? He's like, you don't believe me? He's like, well, I didn't say that either. And then Amirth says, so why play along? He says, well, until I see a little more, let's not call me a player, merely an active spectator. Mirth just laughs and says, very well, my friend, but now there's something you must tell me. 
And then we turn the page. We see this chick gets out, grabs a baseball bat from her car and goes to confront this grackle flint and back to the park. We see mirth floating with his green magic. Kevin's like, get down here before someone sees you. And Mirth's like, no one can see me unless I want them to. And Kevin's like, Oh, okay. So tell me why is someone with all the power you contain scared of heights? I'm sorry, but I find it quite silly to irk. And we see something like something is, is hitting Mirth like in his, in his gut basically. And this is when we go back and see that this chick is fighting the grackle Flint. And she's actually, she's holding her own quite well. She's like ducking his punches, smacks him in the, in the back of the head with this baseball bat which doesn't really affect him too much but she's just holding her own i will say and meanwhile mirth just like falls out of the sky falls to the ground kevin runs after him and this is all juxtaposed with this chick uh this crackle foot is getting the best of her he knocks knocks the uh, baseball bat out of her hand slapping her in the face against the car i mean things are not going well and kevin's like well mirth what's wrong with you what are you he's like it's all right kevin it's just the sight it comes on me unexpectedly and the beginning is painful but now the pain clears and i begin to see Oh no, it's happening again. One of those I spoke to you of those who will know you and join you is again at the mercy of a grackle flint. And as we end this issue, we see this uh, black chick being choked against the car as this grackle flint is about to spike her in the face with his poisonous spur. Remza reactions to issue two. Are you, are you getting more interested in the story as you go along? Or are you still kind of mad? I think it's growing on me now, especially since we're actually really starting to set up more of the stakes. Yeah. Like can, I, can I be honest about something? Please, please do. Folks. That's why we do Mark, the show. Mark and I <laughs> have to plan this show between all our actual like outside podcast lives. And uh, I got I got my annual physical for the first time in several years on Friday. And I got <laughs> a call today while I was at work saying, hey, your blood sugar level is incredibly concerning and i'm like what do you mean they're like we're gonna go ahead and test you and just make sure that your glucose levels are fine so immediately i'm thinking like shit like i know i need to like lose some weight and stuff but are they insinuating that i might have diabetes so (laughs) they're like i'm like wait like if i if i was like you know what you're saying like if i had like a sugar problem you 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 would let me know right like i could reverse this right And they're like well we're gonna get your test immediately so literally as mark was finishing up issues too i get an update on my phone your test results are today already and long story short my doctor sent a note like oh i forgot you told me before we took your blood that you had a latte so this extended test they did to test my blood sugar long story short i'm actually really good and if you're gonna get blood tests a blood test done do not drink a venti ice mocha from starbucks beforehand that is the lesson of the day (laughs) diabetes can be avoided through proper diet and regular exercise, which you can do by listening to one episode of the second print comics podcast. If you start being active from the moment we start to the moment, the episode ends, you will have exceeded your daily cardio requirement. You know, you know, I know we're joking here, (laughs) but you know, it it legitimately, not that we are a fitness health and fitness podcast, but if you're someone who sits around thinking, man, I, I just never have time to work out. Okay, once at least once a week, just turn on this podcast and go for a walk. I don't care how fast you walk. I don't care how long you walk. I don't care. Well, I do care how long you walk. That's the whole point. I don't care how far you walk. But if you keep walking for this entire episode, you're going to you're going to burn some cows. All right. That's that's our health and fitness advice. That's my that's my intermission for today, Mark. Issue two was good.
All right. All right. We're, we're moving in the right direction. So back to issue three here. And I continue to love, they do the scanned, like um, these were all wraparound covers originally, and they do the scanned uh, covers of each. So I, I just, I just, I'm, that's like, I'm not gonna say it's my favorite part of this is, but I really do enjoy the, the feel of reading these scanned covers because they just are not reading them, but just looking at, and I actually do reading them because they have these little kind of like uh, these little previews on the back. And it just, it just gives me that, you know, 80s like it's it, you can if you feel like you'd be finding this book in like you said like the back of some bin or something uh at some comic convention in, in the way back of it and it's in kind of like ratty old shape and i just i just like that that feel was conveyed by, by doing these scans which they really didn't need to do but uh because every uh, the other pages are not like that kind of scan they're actually digitized it's the digitized artwork um but yeah i, I am enjoying these scan pages as we head into chapter three and again, we always we always start off hot, right where the last uh, episode episode, right where the last issue ends. Uh, the Grackle Flint is about to stab this uh, this black chick who's against the car, and she, it's things are not looking good. Right as he is about to come down with this spur, hand reaches out, and it is it is our hero Kevin Mastic grabs this Grackle Flint, and here we go again. We got another Grackle battle here. Throws this Grackle Flint against the wall, and he tells Mirth, he's like Mirth, make sure the girl's all right. He's like Kevin, watch out. Kevin almost gets stabbed by like he just ducks and uh, thank God for Mirth warning him as another Grackleflint comes from behind. I think it's another Grackleflint. No, it's the same one. Just one Grackleflint uh, and tries to get Kevin. Meanwhile, they're grappling and now Kevin is like so focused on these spurs. Now that he knows that the poison could potentially kill them. So he's just like holding this guy's arms apart. Um, and as they tangle up and I guess, um, let's see, Mirth is kind of like talking to this chick and he's like, if only I can get a clear shot. And he's like, do you have a gun or something? And he's like, well, no, not exactly. Cause like Kevin and the Grackleflint are just all tied up in knots, uh, like flying around through the air. Uh, and then as they do get, they finally get separated from each other and Mirth takes a shot with his green energy blasts. And uh, he's, he yells, uh, as the Grackleflint yells, Father, I fall into the very midst of our enemies. Send your shade to my aid. Save me. And as this uh, Grackleflint is falling from the sky, this black hole opens up. Um, it's kind of like, it, it's a different dimension, a different plane of existence. And this Grackleflint falls through the black hole. And then the black hole emerges with eyes and an arm and points at Mirth and starts talking. It says, Mage, you and your warriors are becoming a naggish thorn the underbelly of my operations a thorn that will be most unpleasantly plucked and discarded you are mad to oppose my power so beware march hare before your head is proclaimed off and then mirth says i hear you queen of hearts and your power must be great indeed to send your shade directly into the battlefield with apparently no concern i must say though that i find your confidence highly overrated as mirth shoots a little blast of his energy right at what is this is being called the shade it shoots it right in what appears to be its mouth as the shade just kind of evaporates into nothingness and this chick is like hey drapes she calls him drapes uh that was a cute little trick but aren't you forgetting the star of our show over here he's like oh he's all right and this chick's like all right I- i'm sure he's just great he only fell like five or six stories and she's he, and Mirth's like young lady i assure you he's just fine and they go over and kevin is sitting there he doesn't look happy but he is he does seem just flying and he's pissed off because he's like they fly he's just looking at him like you didn't fucking tell me these things fly <laughs> and the chick's like are you all right he's like i'm fine but why the hell didn't you tell me they could fly he's and he says oh they can't all fly just that one that's stannis <laughs> and he's like what you mean all five can do something different he's like oh yeah i didn't tell you that yeah i'm afraid it's the only really way to tell them apart they look exactly the same but they all have a different power what do you he's mean like, they all look the same <laughs> and he's like kevin's like oh damn and she's like are you sure you're all right he's like would you just knock it off i'm fine already and just just who the hell are you she's like forgive me my lord I am your most 
humble and loyal servant. And he, and Kevin's like, I thought you said she was going to know me. What's all this Malord crap? And he's like, and Mirth is like, calm yourself, Kevin. She's merely confused by some of the things she's just seen just now. She's not used to this, you know? He's like, well, neither am I. Like, I didn't even have powers like six hours ago. He's like, yes, but you don't have to merely watch these events unfold. They're happening directly to you. That makes it a little easier. He's like, well, not really, but whatever. Mirth goes on. He's like, look, we can continue this elsewhere, my friend. Right now, I suggest you get the young lady's car down off the cinder block so that we can hurry out of here in a more conventional method than how we arrived. So they fix the car. They get the, get the cinder block that was all jammed up in the wheel. Um, and they're talking to this chick and she, and he, and Mirth goes to her. He's like, now there's something I must discuss with you, young lady. It seems our friend over there is almost totally ignorant of who he really is. And she says to him, but he must be told he, and Mirth is like, no, imagine if you can. So she, she kind of knows who he is. She, she knows exactly who he is actually. And Mirth, Mirth's trying to kind of downplay that for some reason. He's saying, imagine if you can, how you would feel upon discovering practically everything you had ever believed about yourself to be a lie. And he, he, he's just talking to her. So Kevin can't hear this. He's like, look at me. I said, look at me. If you recognize him, then surely you know me. And she says, yes, but, but I, my consul has always been wise to him in the past. Has it not? Then trust me in this. I assure you that the, when the time comes for him to know, you will be the cause of it. So Kevin knows about that he has this power going through him, but he doesn't know the true nature of what he is, which even this random chick seems to know. And then this, um, you know, they see this um, cinder block fly across the screen and Kevin yells, hey guys, the car's ready. And he's like, hey, so what kind of car is this anyway? This chick responds, she's a 1959 Corsair model Edsel. Kevin's like, an Edsel? <laughs> she's like, you got something against Edsels, buddy? Why? No, not at all. I guess, I don't know. Didn't they used to call those pimp mobiles? I have no idea, but it's a, I think it's a badass looking car. I'll tell you that. Did you ever see Live and Let Die? Mm, uh, that's a Moore? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I mean, at some point, I don't remember the details. So, I've seen every Bond movie when I was a kid. Okay, so in my opinion, Roger Moore's best film is James Bond. At the beginning, you see one of these cars drive up uh, beside the car that he's in, and through the side mirror, there's like a little gun there that shoots the driver of Bond's car. Mm-hmm. And after you know he drives off and everything, Felix Leiter is like, "Come on, we have to go find a yellow pimp mobile." And that's the only reason I know about this car. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the story. That's the story of Remzo and the Ed Cell. Uh, now available on, on audiobook. Uh, we then go back to the, the stick, the old sticks hotel where, where this crack of Flint walks in. He's like, Stannis Laszlo, where, where's father? I don't know why he's German in my mind. Stannis Laszlo, where's father? And he's uh, one of them says, I don't know. Which in his study. Recuperating, yeah? Yeah, let's make I'm them sorry. German. I, like I, had, no, I, had, I had to do that. I think they should be Nazis, too, while we're at it. Why not? They're, they're now Germans from now on. And the other one says, Recu- recuperating from what? We've had some trouble, Emil. I mean, yeah, with names like Emil, Stannis, like, yeah, th- these guys should not just sound American. I had, uh, a little, I had a little run-in with Kevin Matchstick and the Maze, yeah? <laughs> do, do you want to be the Grackleflints from now on? Things going. were going so badly, so I was forced to call on Father Shade for help. Murph zapped him pretty good, and he gets slapped in the face by the other Grackleflints. Flint says, you moron, how is he? He's like, just missing no a idea. nine, 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 nine. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was I supposed to do? Okay, and basically they go in, and so that basically the Umbra Sprite, who is, you know, like like Mirth mentioned, their father, he uses this power of the shade and use it to get the other, uh, the other Grackle Flint out of there, uh, and Mirth was able to sort of 
you know, give him a little tap with his energy, and that that sapped a lot out of this out of this Umbra sprite, basically. So, so he comes out and he says, "Calm yourselves. Your concern is appreciated, but unnecessary." We never really see. Well, actually, this is the first time we actually do see his face, and he he basically looks pretty much just like the Grackleflints, only he's wearing a pinstripe suit, a red pinstripe suit. And yeah, he's like, you know, it was a it's a troublesome bolt that banished my shade, but I have retrieved it, and all is well. Merely somewhat tiring. And all right, and this Grackleflint's like, I'm, I'm pleased you're well, sir. And I bring possible news of the Fisher King. One of our cronies on 13th Street said he saw a cripple hanging around the Midtown Deli earlier today. Said he'd never seen him on that turf before. And uh, Umber Sprite says, yes, these street dwellers do tend to stick to their own little territories, don't they? Well, very well. Laszlo, go check this out. See if it's him. We may just get lucky. And uh, Laszlo says, off to touch him to be sure. What if it's not? And this, um, the Umber Sprite says, well, kill him anyway. If he's just a beggar, no one's going to miss him. Uh, in fact, have a little fun with him, if you like. Uh, as he walks out, he says, now I must retire again and continue the summoning of the Marhalt Ogre, whatever that is. So uh, he gives them some last minute instructions like, email, email, you and Stannis remain here. I may need your assistance later. You remember how unpleasant it is was it was traveling to this wretched little plane? Well, summoning something to it is much, much worse. <laughs> You know what the grackle flints are going to do? They're going to pump you, you up. <laughs> and uh, we are now back in uh, Ed's cell. That is actually what they call the chick, too, um, in, in her car. And he's like, okay, kid, who are you? How'd you ever run in with that grackle flint? She's like, don't call me kid. I'm almost 18. He's like, oh, okay, ancient. But who are you? He says, my name's Ed Cell. He's like, really? He's like, no, but it's what I prefer. Any complaints? He's like, no. He's like, all right. Well, I didn't know what that thing I was following was. I just, I, I don't know. I just felt pulled. Like there was something, just something wrong there. And I had to find out what. I didn't know the damn thing was going to be so tough, though. I, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty mean with my baseball bat, but he didn't even seem to notice when I hit him with it. And Mirth is like, well, I believe I could be of some help there, young lady. And Mirth picks up the baseball bat and says, this won't be extremely powerful, you understand. Its effect will be similar to a cattle prod, but it should help. And suddenly he like does some magic shit with this baseball bat. And now that bat's gro- glowing green. Kevin looks, he's like a magic baseball bat. And Mirth's like, yeah, why not? And Kevin's like, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, meanwhile, we see these other two Grackleflints. I think this is Stannis and Emil. <laughs> Somehow I'm, I'm keeping track of these guys. Uh, they're just in the waiting room of this hotel and they hear this this loud noise uh, from the other room where the Umber Sprite is is apparently trying to summon this ogre. He, he just this here, a clunk. And then we go back to uh, our adventure with uh, Kevin and company. And they go up to this building. Kevin's like, why here? And, and uh, they're like, privacy. I figure we could use a place to talk. And there's no events or anything scheduled tonight. So uh, he's like, all right, good idea. Good idea, Edsel. And, and she says, I know. And um, Mirth now says, Kevin, if I might make a suggestion, your activities of late have left your appearance a bit on the seedy side. In short, you look like hell. I can help. He puts this little magical green portal over Kevin, like pushes it over his clothes and all, suddenly all of his clothes, they're no longer ripped. They're no longer t- longer torn. He's just got nice jeans, a jacket and a shirt. They're all restored to their former glory. Uh, so they're basically in this stadium and they're just going to go have a chill in the bleachers and just talk this stuff out some more. And uh, Mirth kind of continues to talk about the gra- Grackleflints as she's ex- he's explaining to kind of to Edsel what they are. And he says, there are five such creatures in this world and they are led by their father, the Umbra Sprite. And Edsel's like, well, what, the, what do they want? And he kind of goes on telling her the deal here. He says, ah, yes, what do they want? Well, traditionally, in the long legacy of the eternal struggle, the darkness has always found a way to permeate somewhat into many areas and many events 
experience, whereas the light has usually seen fit to pinpoint its embodiments in a more specific manner. One of the greatest vessels for the light has been a man known as the Fisher King. It is he they want, and he we must protect. And she says, well, just where is this Fisher King? And he says, I have no idea. <laughs> and Kevin and Edsel look at each other like, great. Marissa says, look, think how much harder it usually is to notice someone's good points rather than their faults. So it is with the Fisher King. As an embodiment of good goodness, he is difficult to recognize. He changes his shape at will and so keeps us searching as he, as we should. One must strive for the light. The dark has come far too easy. We head back. We see those two Grackleflints just chilling again in the hotel and literally just four panels of them waiting because they're just waiting for Umber Sprite to finish whatever, whatever magical thing he's doing in the other room. And we go back and so it's like, so what do these goons want the Fisher King for? And, and she's like, well, to kill him, of course, you know, they need his blood with it. They can affect a, compl- a complex ritual, which would greatly weaken the light. This would throw the balance of the struggle towards the shadows and chaos for an unknown length of time. This ritual has, of course, been performed before the latter part of the reign of the Caesars, the dark ages that raged through Europe, China's bloody warring states period, and the world wars are just a few examples. So basically, this is, uh, you know, the ultimate embodiment of evil and whenever they're able to perform this evil ritual, then the world gets pretty shitty for a while. This is essentially what this comes down to. And he says, luckily though, our enemies also have difficulty locating the Fisher King. One of the Grackle Flints named Laszlo, he's a clairvoyant and would probably be able to tell for sure whether or not they have found the Fisher King, but it would have to be at very close range. And so they keep searching, but it, you know, it's, it's quite a large city, so it might take them a while. We go back. We see these two grackle friends still waiting outside. And then finally, the Umber Sprite, the, the door swings open and you see him kind of like smoking. You just see the, the sort of silhouette of his body. And he says, it is done. The Marhalt is summoned. We then go back to the stadium. Mirth t- says, you're being awful quiet, Kevin. And, he's, and Kevin's like, how much of this do you believe? Talking to Edsel. And she says, all of it. He says, huh, I'm surprised at that. You come off as being much more pragmatic. And she says, well, a streetwise attitude doesn't necessarily make me a cynic. In fact, if anything, in life on the streets serves to open you up when you're out in the open. You begin to realize that 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 it's all that all here, the good, the bad, the clean, the dirty, the solid, the imaginary. It all exists. So how very much more is also possible? It's the middle classes trapped inside their two-story ranchers that put the ironclad mold on what can and can't be. She's got some good points here. The streets let you believe. And as these guys are talking, uh, you know, Kevin's saying, well, I'm not so encompassing in my views. It may be incredibly bourgeois, but I'm afraid I tend to stick to the old saying as we see this hairy arm reaching behind them. And as we end this issue, we see a giant splash page. Kevin is finishing his sentence. The old saying, seeing is believing as this giant, hairy nasty looking bald pink faced ogre is hovering behind them as we end issue three ramzo what are your thoughts are we are we going in the the right direction that thing looks like mini me wearing a bear costume (laughs) yeah this thing is it's definitely it's definitely original (laughs) so something that i i don't think we we ever address is pacing in the story pacing has to do with not only the pace of the dialogue moving the story along throughout a comic, but also the layout is also a, a big indicator of pacing. And we've, and we've given compliments to stories in the past that have really good layouts, but good layouts can really move a story along and they can really change a tone. And sometimes they can even elevate artwork. 
I'm not changing my mind with the artwork and we'll talk about this later after we finish issue four, but like, I'm still, I'm not, I'm not really captivated by the artwork, but the one thing I really do like about this and the reason why I think it's so charming is because the page layouts, how they do the panels Mm -hmm. and how they're moving it along. I think that's this book's biggest strength and it stands out. I wish the artwork could match more of that, but this is something that I, I really like because I like the story. I really do. And the last couple issues have really caught me, but now I think I understand it. It moves along without dragging the reader, without getting lost in subplots. You, you actually do really begin to like the renderings of the characters. And, I, you know, it's it's really starting to grow on me now. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you think that way because it, it is it is very much an acquired taste, especially, you know, for if someone is used to more superhero, more mainstream style of art, uh, more even mainstream style of storytelling. This might be a little bit jarring at first, but I really do. Like you said, the pacing really works for me. And it it this never gets like even though there's a lot of exposition, the exposition is all done in a through the dialogue. And it, it's and they do enough of, of mixing it up, like even when they're, you know, kind of Mirth is explaining a lot of the stuff they they did back and you know show the grackle flints waiting and just breaks it up just enough that these issues really do fly by i mean we're gonna probably clock this this uh this entire episode and and you know over and just over an hour by the time we're done with this thing and and that's enough to get your daily cardio in yes and just enough to get your daily cardio in and you can actually track that with the spc fitness app that you can download uh from your app store of choice that's not true so don't try to do it uh, but uh but moving along we're going to dip back in for the final not the final issue of the series, but the final issue of the series that we're going to be looking at today. Mage, the hero discovered issue number four. I love the cover that they scanned in here of this one. It's just, it's just a picture of this ogre about to grab uh, Kevin and Kevin with it. Just his, his has a, uh, a, um, a word balloon, a, a dialogue bubble where he just says ogre. <laughs> it's so simple and silly. I just, I really like it. Uh, moving in though. We see this hand reaching out and it just grabs Kevin. He lifts Ke- this giant ogre, lifts Kevin up, throws him down. And this talk about pacing. This is where this issue, the pace really picks up because we get a lot of a lot of battle, a lot of dialogueless battle. But it's it's entertaining battle. So Kevin goes flying. This ogre jumps into the stadium and is, is like a hundred times bigger than Kevin. And um, as this thing's just smacking thing around, uh, even Mirth is kind of surprised. He's like, that was the Marhal ogre. And Edsel's like, the what? He's like, oh, it's a, it's a creature from Kevin's uh, Kevin's other life. And he's like, the Umber Sprite must have summoned it. I, I didn't think he could, especially after what after what I did to his shade. And she's like, well, get rid of it. He's like, oh, I can't do that. She's like, what? You're like, this is a magical creature. Like, what do you mean you can't do that meanwhile kevin is just getting the life squeezed out of him by this thing he's like oh well, i'm too weak my powers are mainly supportive not combative like I-, I can attack when i need to but it's it's a real strain and that fight in the alley emptied me out and she's like but i've seen you use magic since then his clothes my bat he's like oh that's nothing i'm just pushing energy around here and there no big deal this would this would take a full offensive strike in fact my earlier little escapades probably created quite a ripple in the fibers of the magic that's how he found us nothing i can do and she says all right then get me my bat Meanwhile, Kevin is being squeezed to death and finally just says, screw it, bites this thing, bites this thing's hand. Uh, and this, it actually works. This thing just screams, just raw as Kevin just flies out of his hand. Kevin lands on the ground next to this uh, giant foot of this creature and punches it in the angle, which ankle, which does seem to have uh, an effect on the creature. And Mirth is still saying, you can't be serious. That spell isn't nearly strong enough to. And then as Kevin looks up, he punched it. He's punched this thing in the ankle, but that made it fall over. So it's about to fall on Kevin while Mirth and Edsel are arguing. So Edsel saying, can it drapes? I'm not going to sit here and watch him belt it out with that thing all alone. 
Meanwhile, Kevin has now been crushed by the ogre. Like he's alive because he's Kevin and he has powers, but he's stuck underneath it. Finally gets him out. He's like, just, just do it. And he says, all right, she gives him and uh, he gives her the, the magical bat. Kevin is kind of out of it, gets punched by this thing again. And he just screams mirth. <laughs> and now this thing is hovering over Kevin. It looks like it's just about to crush him with his thumb. When Edsel jumps on this thing's back and he's like, Edsel. And she's got this glowing green bat. And then Mirth's just like, all right, careful, go. And she just starts whacking this ogre in the bat with her green glowing baseball bat she's going rodney king on that thing <laughs> she's going full rodney on him and uh full L- full lapd i guess full and, LAPD. <laughs> and kevin's like ed so look out he's too tough and meanwhile this thing reaches up and mirth's like careful and he grabs ed cell the, the ogre and starts crushing her looks like she's about to get crushed to death and then and, and mirth's like oh god oh no Ed, this thing throws Edsel. She's being thrown across the stadium. Mirth does some magic stuff to, to save her. Kevin jumps on this thing's head. And Mirth has apparently sent her to some like dark dimension or something. They're just like in the darkness for a minute here. And um, yeah, Kevin just continues to wail away on this thing, just punching it in the head, punching it in the head. Um, Mirth is kind of just like bringing Edsel back to life, healing her with, with her magic powers as uh, Kevin runs away from this thing in this football stadium. Kevin leaps and jumps onto the um, man. Why can't I, the, the goalpost, uh, you know, the thing they kick the ball, the through sports the thing, the sports thing. Yeah. Um, grabs onto it and pulls it all the way back and then let's go and it slaps this ogre right in the face uh then kevin breaks a piece of it off with this uh breaks a piece of wood off and just starts smacking this thing in the face he's like you son of you lousy son of a bitch a dirty bastard and just hitting it hitting it hitting it and finally he just stops and he's just breathing and breathing he's like ah, ah okay damn you just damn you and then uh, so he basically just he just beat the living shit out of this thing to death and he's like okay well well how is she talking to mirth now he's like oh she's out she's fine but how are you he's like look there was no other way kevin he's like i'm lousy i, I lost it mirth says it was the only way you could have beaten him and and uh, kevin says well I, I killed him and she says he says no no my friend you didn't kill him he's like look and he, he, they look over and there's just this like purple smoke there and he's like oh it's gone and Mirth says, yeah, he just returned to his realm. You know, it's very difficult to kill one from the fairylands, Kevin. You merely broke the spell that bound him to this plane. He's like, that was a fairy? And Mirth is like, no, that was an ogre. But the fairylands are many and varied. You know, some are light, some are dark. And Kevin says, well, that still doesn't excuse what I did. I, I didn't know how, how it, I didn't know it couldn't be killed. I tried to kill it. I wanted to kill it. And I swore I would never do that again. And that's when Kevin tells this story about when he was, he was a kid and he had this dog that he loved walked her all the time took care of her slept in her bed and then one day he was trying to train her and he just couldn't teach this dog to shake hands so then kevin starts to beat this puppy and he beats this dog to fucking death and <laughs> and I, I shouldn't be laughing at this at all um but yeah it sounds like kevin kind of had some issues kevin had some issues with a kid kind of escalated really quickly he's like you know I, I promised myself i would never happen again if i had done this how much worse would it be against someone i i was really mad at so all my life i fought to keep under control and i've always managed to remain fairly moderate until lately especially until today mirth says well you you were a child kevin and being a child means living pure unadulterated emotion wants and needs are all a child knows and now it is necessary for you to use the fervor that emotion produces so your emotions are surfacing above all your well-practiced self-restraint kevin says oh great so i'm reverting to becoming a child again awesome he says no kevin 
You're becoming a warrior. We are fighting a war, you know. Emotion is the quickest, most immediate form of power there is, be it love, anger, fear, whatever, produces instant power, instant capability. Knowledge also produces such power, but learning is a much more tedious process. And if the time can be afforded, it is the preferred source. Power that stems from knowledge is much more controlled and directed. He's like, but look, you haven't been trained for your present task at hand, Kevin. You've been kept blissfully ignorant of your fate your whole life, as are most people. But most people have no need of power. Most people ride out the stream of their entire lives with never once fighting the current. They're born, they grow, they get a job, they marry, they grow old, and they die. As Billy Pilgrim, another... Remzo, what can you tell me about Billy Pilgrim? Billy Pilgrim is... I don't know who Billy Pilgrim is. Yeah, I mean, neither. No idea. I, I do love, like, I, I love, it's interesting reading a book where I get none of the references. I really don't get any of Matt Wagner's references here, but he's a man. Before Are these real people? I don't know. I have no idea. It's like the third random person they reference. And it's like, this must be like, <laughs> we got Tony Savini. We got Billy Pilgrim. Who are these guys? Um, and Mirth goes on. He says, look, it's those extreme few that decide to use the available forms of power that affect the world that change it. And Mirth's like, what are you looking at? And Kevin's like, oh, you look terrible. Are you all right? And this is Mirth then says, actually, I'm kind of drained, but my, it's really hot in here. He's like, oh, that's better. Takes off his, uh, takes off his little cape. Then he's like, all right. And now, and he goes and he has these bandages around his legs and he starts unwrapping these bandages. And then as he unwraps his bandages, it's revealed that Mirth has no legs. <laughs> that just kind of happens Mirth is just wearing magic bandages as legs this whole time he's like oh my god your leg Kevin's all freaked out he's like oh I'm sorry Kevin I forgot you didn't know yes my legs are just wrappers are held together by a very powerful spell like yeah we we all have weaknesses all right mine are just rather specific now in one of my other's lives and this is where Kevin's like your other lives He's like, yeah, we've all had other lives, Kevin. I just happen to remember all of mine. Anyway, at one time I had a weakness for very beautiful women. <laughs> uh, so it goes. And he says, now if you'll excuse me. Ah, that's better. And now he's just laying there with no legs, <laughs> sitting next to Kevin uh, in this alleyway. Uh, we then go and we see this, this homeless guy, this old older homeless guy. And he says, you know, he's asking for change. And then... Um, He's talking to this guy in a trench coat who has a real, really weird spiky elbow. He says, oh, good evening, sir. Can you spare a quarter for a war vet? And this Grackle Flint, who we know is Laszlo, says, yes, I think so. In fact, I think that's just about the nicest pan handle I've ever gotten. So what do you say we do it again? And if you do it real nice, we'll make it 10 bucks. And he says, a, a, a saw buck. I guess that's another word for 10 bucks. A saw buck? A saw buck? You got it, mister. He says, um, good evening, sir. Could you kindly spare something for a veteran? And and this is when Laszlo, he's like using his magical energy on him. And he's realizing, okay, that's not, it's not him. This guy's not even really crippled. He's like, well, mister, how's that? And he says, fine, my friend, just fine. And we, he we see as he has hit him with his venomous spur and thrown this guy down, this uh, homeless guy who was, was not actually, he was actually faking uh, this whole wheelchair thing. So I don't feel as bad as I would if he was an actual guy in a wheelchair, but he's, he's screaming, oh my God, they're all over me, all over me. They're crawling on me. My eyes, my eyes, they're eating my eyes. Oh my God, oh my God, help me please. Oh sweet mother, get him off, get him off. And again, we go back to Kevin and Mirth and Mirth is feeling it. He feels, he feels this hit. Kevin's like, Mirth, what's wrong? He's saying, calm down, Kevin. It's just, you know, just another vision. I'll be fine. Oh, that's better. Now, damn, apparently your little frolic with the ogre must have set off some alarms. And Kevin's like, why? He's like, well, because there's loads of cops on their way here. Listen, you should probably hear them. So, yep, there they are. Woo! As we hear the sirens, uh, he says, all right, go get Ed Cell. She stretched out in some blankets down there on the left. And Mirth is thinking, man, that's strange. I should have heard about this sooner than I did. Something's up here. And um, Kevin runs in. He's got Ed Cell. 
And he's like, great, come on, we'll go back the way you just came. I noticed an exit sign up there and Mirth takes him down to this like this little darker part of the building. He says, most likely they'll investigate the door we came through first. It'll, it's, it's still standing open, so we won't be expected to exit out a side door. But right as they exit out the side door, they come out and he says, of course, I could be wrong as these cops are waiting for them and they just say freeze as we end issue four of mage and that's where we're gonna do it today this is the first volume of the series i think it's a total of four i believe it's like 16 issues something like that uh but that is the introduction i guess to our character our hero kevin matchstick and his adventures that will continue on for several decades but they're all very short i think every series is something like around 20 issues more or less maybe hero defined might be a couple less um but he he does these in little chunks and uh yeah this is this is kind of matt wagner's baby this and grendel are, are, are basically make up the the bulk of his work but now that we've wrapped things up remzo how are you feeling about this this four issue introduction about the first volume introduction uh to this character have, have you warmed up at all from from the uh that first issue i, I like that's a very clear example of somebody following the hero's journey in a in a book i think sometimes uh, it's leaned on it a bit too much as just kind of like the archetype of archetype of like what you need to do, because you could see the, you could see the flow of it. It's almost too predictable in a way. So like, while it's good to see that growth because you do get to really feel something for the characters, you do really get to let them grow on you a bit. I felt like it, it did kind of lean on it a, a bit explicitly. And maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he's trying to, you know, make people really notice that. Um, I will say that the dialogue is kind of kitschy sometimes. It's it, it, they don't really talk how people talk, and it's you know I'm not saying that I always want them to do that, but it just comes across as not not the best dialogue. What I will say is that uh, you, you do begin to like some of the renderings in issues uh, three and four. I think those are when I really like it, and it's because you really start to notice that um, the, the, the pacing is different. The layout of the panels is different. It just kind of moves along and you never feel bored. And I gotta say like, even some of the books where I've given it like really high scores, like between eights and tens, uh, there are some lull periods, whether it's a couple pages or a couple issues. And I never felt that here. So the fact that, you know, this was able to just keep it going and there, there were some fun moments and everything. And you do really get to see how the characters interact with each other when they go ahead and bring in Etzel. Um, I, I've got to say for the art, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a three because it's, I, I, I can't just say I, I, it's not my style. I think I say that a lot. I will say that there are some parts where it just comes off as just a bit, a bit juvenile and, and maybe that's me being harsh, but you know, there's some parts where it's really cool. And there are some parts where, I, you know, especially in the first issue where I'm like, what am I reading? Um, so I'm giving the art of three. I think it's saved really by the, the layout of the book where some parts where they really kind of zoom in on certain characters. Like I like the cab scene in uh, in issues uh, in issue three. I think the cab scene, they actually make that look really cool. Um, and, and then the fight scene in issue four, I think that's some of the best action we've seen. So because of that, where it's like, that's how you, you know, it's like, the John Wick style of how you're going to go ahead and craft a fight scene throughout an issue with everything. I really did like that. So I'm going to give it a three. And, and then for uh, everything else, I'm, I'm going to give it uh, a 3.5 for a total score of a 6.5 out of 10. Actually, no, I'm going to, I'm actually going to amend my score. Ooh, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to give, I'm going to give the artwork a 3.5 versus Remzo. Remzo debating Remzo. <laughs> I'm going to give the art a 3.5. I'm going to give the story and the dialogue a 3.5 for a total score of seven out of 10. This is going to be the first time I think I've actually changed my own mind on air. 
I think you talked yourself up, right? You saw that in real time. That, that was something to witness. Uh, all right. Well, interesting. Cause this is actually, this is one of those stories that based on like when it came out, you'd think this would be a nostalgia pick for me, but it's really not. It's just, I really enjoyed Mage the hero defined in the nineties. And that's, that's why I later went back and wanted to see the origin. And, and I will say, I think I was a little bit like you the first time I read this kind of like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a, it's a little cheesy. It's like, it's not what I'm used to seeing in comics. And it, I think Matt Wagner's art, is is very much an acquired taste it's just he has a very specific style i do think his, his art does evolve over the years as you, as you as you might expect like i think at this point he's only been doing comics for a couple of years and then when we get to mage the hero denied which just came out i think last year he i wouldn't say he's a very different artist you can still tell he's the same artist but he does he does do some things a little differently so this is not this feels like a passion project yeah, and, and it absolutely is, and 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 I guess that's something I appreciate about it because it does to me it does come across the the authenticity of it does come across like it it very much does not feel like a corporately packaged book. It it yeah. very much feels like I don't know. I don't want to say like your your buddy who just put it. <laughs> this feels like I mean this feels like Todd McFarlane or Eric Larson making characters yes. when they were young and getting to tell their stories when they were older. This right. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about this guy. I'm just making a lot of assumptions. Yeah. But this this gives me the same vibe. Yeah, the difference being that Eric Larson and Todd McFarlane had like 10, 15 year careers becoming professionals before they did their passion project of the characters they grew up with. Whereas this is like Matt Wagner's like just getting into comics. I think he's like 22, 23 years old at this point. This is this is like my first book. Still available on Amazon, but I'm not pushing it out. <laughs> yeah. He had only, he only done a couple other books at this point. Uh, I think he might have done Grendel before this, I think. But anyway, yeah, I mean, he, he's still very, very young and very raw. And that does come across um, in the art. So I, like, I'm not going to my point being, I don't think this this doesn't get extra nostalgia points for me because it's not it's not my own nostalgia pick. This actually originally came out maybe, you know, seven or eight years before I was even reading comics. Um, so I, I'm actually and this is actually really interesting. I'm surprised. I'm surprised at this turn, but I'm going to give the story hmm. i'm going to give the story i am also going to give the story a 3.5 um because i like in some ways it is just like you know it's it's, it's a hero's journey retread and like 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 every story is essentially um but it's it's done in, in a way that like I, I i can really enjoy the the realness of the dialogue and of the characters and i, I enjoy that we're kind of getting we're, we're understanding like like you were talking about at the beginning like i don't really know what's going on here yet but neither does kevin so it's like it, it makes sense that we don't know what's going on and even even as we end this issue we don't really know everything that's going on we just know that we're getting we're getting little tid, tidbits and pieces here like we're, i know that mirth got no legs we know that mirth got no legs yeah and you know we're, we're getting little hints that like okay these characters there's they have multiple lives um like mirth remembers his but kevin doesn't so like what what was kevin what was he in these other lives so i think there's enough like really interesting tidbits to set it up that it, it does make me want to see you it, it makes me want to find out the answers and it, it and it's done in a really fun enough way that i, I never get bored and that's to me that's a hallmark of, of a good story uh, maybe not a great story but a good story so i'm gonna give the writing a 3.5 as well and then i, I think i'm actually gonna be hard around the art than you because look i i, I want to grade it on a curve because he is younger i thought i was mean no nah, i mean i think you were you were fair but like i will say i like matt wagner's art in mage the hero defined which is the one from the 90s um i really really like his art there and it is much improved over this so i mean i think it's i think it's fair to say that this is slightly above average at best art so i'm just going to give it a slightly above average at best score i'm going to give the art a three so that this actually will get a total of a 6.5 to me which is interesting because that feels lower than i would have thought i would have given 
given it, and I'm surprised that I ended up lower than you, but I think I'm being fair, and I think that this this story gets better as it goes along, and I think Matt Wagner improves as the decades go along. So I think that if you stick with this, you'll actually just... It, it, it's it's like the story grows with the the with the creator, which I think that's one thing I really like about this is that you can see how rough it is in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like the ultimate fuck it pile book. <laughs> like, really, like I wouldn't even put this really in the Sunday read category. So, so all together, we're giving it a thirteen out of twenty combined second per comic score. I, this isn't a, this doesn't meet the Sunday read criteria for me. This 13 is and a half, I guess. I, okay, I thirteen and a half. Yeah. So this, I mean, that's just barely beneath that. This is what you see in the back of the convention in the $1 bin when you didn't buy much or you have some extra cash and you're like, fuck it. It's a dollar. Yeah. And, and I don't think you would regret that dollar because it's not bad. It's, it, you know, oh. it's just, it's interesting. And it's, you know, it's, it's definitely an acquired taste though. I will say that, especially in this early form, this, this very much like unrefined Matt Wagner. Um, he, his, his, his work doesn't prove as, yeah, he did what he did do a decent amount of with DC, but it was all after this. That's what's interesting. Whereas a lot of these creators, they, you know, they, they grind their teeth working for Marvel and DC and then eventually they break off and do their own stuff. Well, Matt Wagner's first book was Grendel in 1983 and his second book was Mage in 1984. So he started off entirely independent and then due to the notoriety he gained from some of these earlier books, then he parlayed that into some work for with uh, like DC. Uh, I don't think, yeah, he did a couple of things for Marvel, but m- most of his work um, outside of his independent creations was, seems like it was with DC. He did a couple of Batman books. Uh, let's see, some Demons, some Dr. Midnight, did a Sandman issue as well. So he's, he's, he's done some things, but it, it all started here. Uh, so I just, I find Matt Wagner a pretty interesting creator just because just his path is it's like the flip it's like the reverse of like the eric i respect the hustle like anyone willing to like anyone and and i'm not saying this book is bad i don't want anyone to say i can never say that about another writers or artist stuff um and i think i think it's worth commending anybody who does this especially when they've got like no institutional support like that takes a lot of balls. It takes a lot of time. And I think if, if you, uh, I, I think a lot of people listening to this, who are on the fence, I think this is really the test of where you are in terms of your own styles and tastes. I think this, I think this comic is really going to show you a lot of what you do like and a lot of what you don't like. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. definitely a $1 fuck a pile. comic. <laughs> <laughs> It is for now. So we shall see. But uh, I think this is um, one of the more interesting books that that you and I have checked out um, just in terms of the curiosity that curiosity that it's the most off color book I think we've picked. And we and we've picked some like random like I thought the the Sam Keith Max stuff was going to be like the most out there stuff we did. I think this surpassed that. I mean, yeah, Max is definitely more out there conceptually, but it it still does have elements that make it feel like a mainstream book when you know just the look, the feel, all of that. Whereas this feels like this gritty, unknown thing that it's you would just doing its own thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so that wraps it up for this episode and for our look at Mage, the hero discovered. If you want to check it out, I, I got this one on Comixology Unlimited. That's where I that's where I read this particular version because I don't think this one is on Hoopla. We usually send people to the old Hoopla, but not this week, my friends. So you're gonna have to do a little extra digging for this one. But uh, I think it's worth it. I think it's worth checking out. Let's let's put it that way. If you're if you're not paying more than a dollar, <laughs> at least. Um, and uh, anything else before we go, Ramsey? Any last words? Don't drink a latte before your blood test. Don't drink a latte before your blood test. And one episode of the Second Print Comics podcast is your daily cardio if you're going and being active. I think, (laughs) you know, the only other thing we can add is, as always, if you learned one thing, it's this. It's time to read comics! 
and change the world. Good night, America. Adios. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.